0: So, uh, the term, the expression 24 7, I'm going 24 7, is the idea that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm running, I'm working, I'm hustling, I'm doing my thing. I just go, 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 go. And even though I'm going 24 7, there's still things to get done. How, how many of you feel like the end of the day, end of the week, there's always something left on your to-do list? How many of you feel that way? It seems like that happens a lot. Uh, now, let me give you one of the reasons why that possibly may be happening. USA Today did a study. They did some analysis and research. They talked to experts, and they, they discovered and found out all the things that you and I should be doing If we want to be healthy, well-rounded Americans. So they came up with this list of things that you and I should be doing, and then they had assignment of times for each of these activities. So for example, things that you and I should be doing on a daily basis. We should be spending around 30 minutes a day exercising if we want to be healthy. We should be spending around 40 minutes a day doing personal hygiene, like a shower, and brushing your teeth, and your hair, and all those kind of things. Uh, Eight hours a day working, two to four hours a day with family, depending if you're married married or not married, kids or not kids, so on and so forth. And then they had all the other things that we're supposed to do. Now, some of them were fun and good things like when you have a hobby, but then there's also things like communing or house chores and doing the lawn and sleeping and cooking and eating. So they come up with this whole list of things that you and I should be doing if we want to be well-rounded, healthy Americans. And this is then what USA, USA Today concluded. We have discovered, quote, that the average American is going to need 42 hours in each day to get it all done. (laughs) When you added it all up, that's why we're so tired, right? We're overwhelmed and overloaded and overworked, overcommitted and overextended, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We continue our series on stress, and today we're talking about the pressure that some of us feel because we have too many plates spinning. We have too many things on our to-do list. We can't seem to get it all done. And that creates a level of emotional pressure on us. Uh, what I want to do is I want to start uh, by, by reading the verses that we, we began this series with. It's words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. But I'm going to read it from something I don't normally do Bible study from. I just read the message, which is what it's called, in my devotional life. And here's what Jesus asks you today. Let's put it on the screen. He asks you this question. Are you tired? Are you worn out? The reality is that some of us walked in here tired. Maybe that's why you're at third service. You were so tired. you just I'm going to sleep in, right? I'm tired. Are you tired? Are you worn out? The next question is very interesting. Are you burned out on religion? Very interesting question. Come to me, says Jesus. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. And then this wonderful colorful phrase as we talk about the theme of being overloaded. I want you to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. If I could summarize what we're going to talk about this morning, that's it. We need to learn the rhythm that God has created for us, a rhythm of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. My opinion is that one of the reasons some of us, not all of us, but some of us feel the pressure and the stress of being overloaded is because we're living life our way instead of living life God's way. And what I'd like us all to do, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today. It's a book that we don't normally read or, or study, but it's wisdom literature and And the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to give us some very helpful suggestions on what you and I are to do if we feel overloaded. And I'm telling you now in advance, we got to approach this with humility because some of us, God says, hey, we're going to be busy. There's going to be pressures. There's going to be challenges and difficulties. But some of us have taken it way too far. And some of us are living life in a way that God never wanted that for you. So let's look at what he has for us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you're using one of the church Bibles, it's on page 540 so if you can follow along the first eight verses are up for you on this up for you on the screen and i want you to notice even before we start reading the the words that are in red bolded and underlined it's the one word that gets repeated over and over and and over and over again right it's this it's what he's trying to emphasize when it comes to the topic of having too many plates spinning and being overloaded overcommitted in life he says this there's a time for everything. That's the setup phrase for what he's going to talk to us about. There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance, and on and on and on and on and it goes, emphasizing the one key word when it comes to overload. You've got to figure out that one key word. And here's principle number one. You've got to learn to maximize your time. Maximize your, not manage your time. This isn't a time management seminar. We're a church and scripture takes it a little bit different angle. You've got to maximize your time. Tim McGraw, 2004, releases a hit song that became incredibly popular. You've got to live like you're dying. We all know we're dying and going to die at some point in time. But he said, you've got you to squeeze life out of every day. You've got to live like you're going to die someday. Get your bucket list together and go for it, so to speak. Stephen Covey, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has an entire section on time management. You want to be successful and effective in life, you've got to figure that out. But in that section, he says something rather interesting. He says this, the challenge is not just to manage time, but to be disciplined enough to manage yourself. That is very insightful. And then one of my favorite pastors, Rick Warren, he has said, time is the most precious gift because you only have a limited and set amount of it. They are all saying the same thing that Ecclesiastes chapter three is saying. They're all talking about this idea. Listen, when it comes to being overloaded in life, when it comes to experiencing the pressures of having too much on your plate, you and I have to learn how to maximize our time maximize our time now what i'm going to do this week i I started spending some time looking at everything scripture had to say about time it surprised me how much is in the bible and how much god has to say as to how you spend your time and how i spend my time now on your study guide i've given you 15 bullet points we're going to go over them in a minute now i'm going to tell you in advance what what i'm going to do and what i'm not going to do of these 50 some of them i'm going to go through rather quickly but i want you to be looking for the one or two that you need to change You're good at two or three of these, no problem. But there's one or two of these that are giving you trouble. Be looking for that one or two and check it off in your mind or check it off in your study guide. Let's go through the 15 or so things that Scripture says we're to do. Let's put it on the screen. Number one, we're to value our time. Value our time. Psalm 39, verse 4 and 5, the psalmist says this, God, teach me, remind me how brief life can be. It's amazing that he has the insight to say, remind me. We know life is brief. Remind me of that. There was a movie quite a few years ago uh, with Adam Sandler, and it was a movie called Click. And it was a movie where he finds a magic remote control, and he's able to click and fast forward through all the sections in life that he's not interested in, that he thinks are boring, that he thinks are mundane, right? And it's a very, it's kind of a humorous movie until the very end where he learns the, the lesson. And the lesson was this, All the things that I was fast-forwarding through, all those things that I thought were mundane and boring and I didn't want to do, I realize now, at the end, that what I was fast-forwarding through is what makes life worth living. And my point is this. Don't be just looking for the mountaintop experiences in life. Value every day. Get what you can out of every day. Even the, the simple conversations and coffees with friends that you know, at coffee with a friend, at, 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 at coffee house or whatever, to make the most of it, value it. Now, the next four I'm going to cover real quickly together because this really is the time management type stuff we hear. We've got to organize our time. We've got to prioritize our time, calendar our time, and protect our time. Now, when it comes to organizing our time, it was surprising to me how often Scripture says, I have at least one reference under each of these bullet points, but in Ephesians 5, Paul says, you want to be wise, you need to make the best use of your time. Question, think back of your last week. Did you make the best use of your time? Not were you work the longest, were you the most effective and efficient based upon what God would have you do? Did you make the most of your time? It's a great and very interesting question. Now, once you've begun to organize your time, you have to prioritize your time. Jesus has a conversation with Martha in, in Luke chapter 10. He says, girl, you're working hard. You may be working hard than anyone else, but but you're not prioritizing what's most important in life. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, one thing I do, not 20 things I dabble in. What is he doing? He's prioritizing. So you get all the things you need to do, and then whether you literally write it on a list, you put the most important at the top of your list. You want to know one of the mistakes I made as a young pastor? What I used to do is I used to make my to-do list, and what didn't get done, because there's always some things that don't get done, what didn't get done on my to-do list for this week, you know what I used to do? I used to put it at the top of the list next week, and I learned that was a fatal mistake. You know why? Because some things always deserve to be at the bottom of the list. Some things never deserve to be priorities in my life. And maybe they always are left undone, and you have to have the discipline not only to value and organize your time, to prioritize your time, and now these next two come together. You calendar your time, you block it off, and then you protect it. That's basically you learning how to say no. Charles Spurgeon was a famous British preacher in the 1800s, and he was quoted as saying this. He says, learn to say no, it will do you more good than learning Latin. Now, here in Richmond, we don't learn Latin. We're like, oh, we don't care, right? But back in those days, Latin was a big deal. And he's talking about, listen, if you don't learn to organize your time, to calendar your time, to protect your time, to decide what you're going to do with your time, guess what? We'll decide it for you. Other people will decide it for you. And what I want to encourage you to do is have the discipline to look in advance so that you're deciding for you what's important in your life, what you're going to slot in, what you're going to do, and what you're not going to do, okay? Then the next one, let's spend a little more time with this one. Create margin with your time. What's margin? Well, margin on a piece of paper is the sections that you don't write in. It's the section on the edge, right? A margin is essentially extra space just in case, right? And if you're writing or you're writing down something down in the margin every once in a while, if you don't have space in the main sh- section of the sheet, you write it in the margin, Right? But that's a principle for life. It's not just something to do with paper products. So let me give you some examples. When it comes to finances, you got to give yourself margin. If you're spending everything you make, if you don't have margin, you're asking for trouble. Because at some point in time, the muffler is going to go out. The fridge is going to go out. You're going to have an emergency. You have to have margin. Moral margin. I meet people all the time, right? They know God doesn't want you to cross this line and they get as close as hey, can I do? Am I allowed to do this, Pastor? Does God let me do this? And they get as close to stepping over the line as they possibly can. No. Moral margin says don't get as close as you can to sin. Moral margin says get as far away as you can from sin. Give yourself some margin so that if you fall, you don't fall over the line. You've got to learn that. Now, when it comes to time. That's what I'm really after. You've got to give yourself margin. So after just telling you, you've got to organize yourself, coordinate yourself, calendar yourself, I also want you to know, listen, you've got to give yourself time margin. And here's what I mean. You have to plan for interruptions. That's part of life. You have to plan for what you expected was going to take you two hours is more likely going to take you three to four hours. You ever found that to be true? You've got to give yourself margin margin. You've got to make yourself a to-do list knowing something's going to happen in my work week that might blow that up. You've got to give yourself more uh, time margin. you also got to have to carve out downtime. There was an article uh, and a, a news story that came out just about two weeks ago about a small town in Norway called Samaroy. Let's put it up on the screen. Samaroy became the first city to formally request wanting to be a time-free zone. So what they did is they requested the parliament in Norway that, there was, that time, quote-unquote, would not exist on their small little island. Here's the backstory: This is the part of the country, a part of the world, especially in the summer months, they, they have unlimited sunlight. They have like 23 hours of sunlight during the day, right? There's parts of the world that have that, right? So you can't just walk outside and know by how light or how dark it is, whether it's nighttime or daytime or wish I should be sleeping or working. You don't know that. It also happens to be a primary vacation spot. So that small little island is the inhabitants for 300 people. But in the summer, it swells to five, 6,000 people because it's just, just a fun place to vacation. So when you're on vacation, sometimes, I, I know I've done that. If you've never done it, you should try. You go on vacation, you can't do it in normal life. And certain vacations, but what, here's what you do. You are not controlled by time. You're not controlled by the clock. So here's what you do. You wanna know when you go to bed, go to sleep at night? When you're tired. You wanna know when you get up in the morning? When you're rested. You wanna know when you eat during the day? When you're hungry. You want to know when you go into the pool or out to the beach? When you're hot. So you you make a decision. I'm not being controlled. Oh, well, it's noon. I have to eat. No, I eat when I want to eat. I sleep when I want to sleep. You can't do that in everyday life, but vacations, occasionally you can. And this town wanted that. They wanted to formally be recognized as a time-free zone. We don't want to be controlled by our watches. Speaking of watches, you see the little bridge heading to the island. One of the customs in Norway is when you go to this island as a vacation spot. They have been talking about being a time-free zone for a long time. Here's what you do. They have another picture. On the railing, over the bridge, you take your watch off. You put it on the railing. You go to the island. When you're done, you come back, take your watch, go home. I, I thought that was pretty neat. Then I thought, the more I looked at it, I thought, that would never work in Richmond. We would be like, I'm selling those on eBay. I'll make a little (laughs) money. You know, I've given you a reference. I've given you a reference. I was interested this week when I went through the Gospels, how often Jesus took downtime. And I got to thinking. He would spend time with the crowd. He would spend time with his disciples. And then every so often he would go, okay, I'll see you guys like tomorrow. I'm going to go off and be by myself. And he'd go to the mountain. He'd be by himself. And I got thinking to myself, If Jesus found it necessary to schedule downtime into his schedule, how much more do you need it? Does that make sense? This is very, very important. Let's keep going on. The next one is set up friend time. Friend time. So have you ever found yourself, you know, you identify someone, you said, you know, I like that person. I think we could be good friends, right? Have you ever found that? You'll never be friends unless you invest time with those people. Won't happen. And what I found is that some of us see friend time or, you know, downtime as luxuries. No. You know, when you read scripture, it talks about how God has created within you a rhythm to want and need friendships. You have to go after that. You have to make it part of your life. You have to invest time. I've given you two verses there that really talk about the value and the profit you get from effective work. That's very important. Stop wasting time. That's huge. Now, uh, I, I came up and, and looked online the most current, current list for things we waste our time with. And it's interesting is that some of the things that we do for downtime, if you do too much of them or at the wrong time, they become wasteful. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you a list of uh, the current items and things that waste our time the most. Here it comes. Clutter, messy desk, and a messy bedroom is number one of the top things at home. If you have messiness, it, it steals time from you, right? Some of you moms right now are just, I told you so to your daughter, right? <laughs> oh, okay, sorry about that. Let's move on. Um, the next one is procrastination, right? I put it off, put it off, put it off. The next one is very interesting, perfectionism. It has to be too, no, that's not how we fold the towels. Let me show you how we, we fold the towels over and over and over again. Uh, it's wasteful time at some point in time. Too much TV. Now, TV, there's nothing wrong with TV. Too much TV becomes wasteful. Too much internet becomes wasteful. Worrying. We just talked about that last week. This right here is one of the top time wasters we have. Our cell phone. Okay? Uh, Checking email too often is the number one business waster we have. Isn't that interesting? Because as part of our jobs, we have to check email. But what they're discovering is if you're checking it too often, you can't stay focused on the task at hand. And some tasks require a solid hour, hour and a half of you undivided attention. But if every 10 to 15 minutes you're checking email, this task isn't getting done. It's very interesting. So you've got checking email too often, obsessing with social media can be wasteful, unorganized meetings, unnecessary meetings. And this is interesting. The number one time waster, according to research... And this is a two-parter, so listen carefully. The number one time waster, according to research, is this. Watching 49er games while petting your cat. So there you have it. That's research. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm here all week. So (laughs) I was waiting to say, okay, let's move on. Stop wasting your time. Yeah, you're wasting my time, Pastor. Okay, sanctify your time. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that your calendar and your time is not just yours. If all you spend your time on, on yourself, you're selfish. And what scripture says is you're gifted. And there's things that you can and should contribute to others. It's called being a volunteer. Not just at church, but the baseball league, the soccer league, school, uh, hospital. Wherever you can and want, however you're gifted. But don't make time just about yourself. Figure out a way and a place to serve and help others. Okay. The next one is create God time. So God time, Psalm 55, 16 and 17, I'd never seen these verses before. The psalmist says this, I spend time with God when I first get up, I spend time with God at midday, and I spend time with God at the end of the day. Now, this guy isn't a monk, so don't don't misunderstand what he's saying. He's He's got a job. What he's saying is I understand the value of starting my day with God Ending my day with God and making sure he's even in the middle of my day. You got to figure out God time. Right in the middle of your busyness, in the middle of your career, in the middle of your family, figure out your God time. The next one is you need to increase your time. So we're all going to die. We all have a lifespan. But the writer of Proverbs says, you want to know how to increase your lifespan? Respect God. Obey and fear God and watch how he stretches your life out. Kind of interesting. The next one is delegate your time. Delegate your time. Exodus chapter 18, Moses learns the lesson, I can't do it all. I can't do it all. And some of us got to learn that. You can't do it all at home. You have to delegate it to other family members. And by the way, the other family members, you got you to gotta not make mom or dad do all the work. You're part of the family. You can't do it all at work. You got to delegate it to others. You can't do all at church. you got to delegate it to others. It's a lesson you have to learn in order to maximize your time. And then the last one is you have to trust God with your time. Psalm 31, there's an interesting verse, and I have some other references, but Psalm 31 was the most interesting, where the psalmist says this. He says, my times, my calendar, it's in your hands, which is his way of saying, listen, I'm doing all the bullet points I'm organizing, I'm strategizing, I'm prioritizing, I'm... but in the end, my schedule is in your hands. It, it, he's after this concept. Have you ever found yourself, you have a work project, you have a family project, you have something you need to get done, and you know before you start doing the project, you're not going to be able to give it as much time as it deserves? You ever find yourself in that situation, right? It takes this amount of time, I only have this amount of time. It actually happened to me about three weeks ago in a, in a huge way. Um, probably the main most significant thing that most people uh, believe that I do for the church is the Sunday message. There's a lot of other things that I do, but this is a primary task that I have as the lead pastor of Bay Hills. I'm just curious, on any given week, how much time do you think it takes me to put together one sermon for a Sunday morning? Just yell it out. Five minutes. Five minutes. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much double offering for Gary. Anyone else? How much time do you think it takes me to put together a sermon? 20 hours? 40 hours? That's all I do. The average, when I first started, it took about 22 to 23 hours. Now I've become more effective, more efficient. It now takes me between 14 and 15 hours every week. Two full days. It starts with deciding what we're going to talk about. So uh, you know, way back when, I think we need a series on stress and I need to find graphics and I need to find a, a video bumper. That's important to us. Then it decide, I have to decide what passages are we're going to cover, right? Because there's hundreds and hundreds of passages. Then I have to study the passage. Then I have to outline the passage. It's one thing for me to understand it, but the whole point of an outline is to give you handles so that you could sort of kind of remember it and process what's happening. So I have to outline the passage. Then I have to illustrate the passage. So as a teacher, as a speaker, I can't just give you information. I understand the power of a story, right? To one, give you a mental break. Two, to illustrate the point I'm trying to make. Right? So illustrations can take a lot of time in finding. Then you have to write the sermon. Right? And So I have my notes right here. The biggest issue that I have is I have this much information. I have to cut it all the way down to this much. How, what do I share? What do I not share? Then I have to do the slides. Right? We live in a visual culture. That's very important for learning. So we have to do the slides. And the last thing I do is I, I don't really memorize my message. But on Saturdays and Sunday mornings, I, no one likes to watch a, speech or a speaker that reads their notes. So I want to be able to not be connected to my notes. All that takes me about 15 hours, except three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, my life blew up. At work and at home, all these tasks got thrown into my lap, and I wasn't expecting them. Major significant things that I could not give away that required a tremendous amount of time. That one week, every single day, I was working at least till midnight. Easy. Easy. 65, 70 hour a week, easy. But all these tasks were taken away from my time that I would normally devote to sermon preparation. So on that one week, instead of spending 14 to 15 hours preparing, you wanna know how much time I spent? Four hours, four hours. And I remember that Sunday morning, you know what was interesting? It was week one of the stress series. God was giving me an opportunity to practice. You know, I was trying to teach you about stress and being stressed because I felt unprepared. I remember that Sunday morning because I get up on Sunday and I look over my notes and I pray through everything and I remember praying to God, you know, I didn't goof off that week. I didn't slack off that week. In fact, it was one of my hardest working weeks. I gave it four hours. I did the best I could. God, now it's up to you. It was interesting at the end of that message, uh, a number of you came up to me afterwards. And then very surprisingly, a number of you texted me and emailed me that afternoon. Oh, Dave, that was such a helpful message. And I remember talking to somebody in the back, and I wanted to say, really? Because I, I thought it was kind of sucky, you know? But what it was is I felt unprepared. And in the end, here's what we, I, you need to learn to do. I know I should be spending 15 hours, but all I got is four hours with my kids four hours with this task at work, four hours with the sermon. But I have limited time to do what I think I'd like to give more time to. I'm going to do the best I can, God. Now you show up and do your thing. That's a lesson that we all have to learn, right? Um, Now, if I spent every week doing four hours, that would not be fun for me, all right? And I think you would notice it at some point in time, Right? Um, I think that time I skated by. Maybe we should start posting that Saturday night. How much time did Pastor spend on the sermon? You could decide if you want to come to church or not. Okay, number two is insist on balance. Insist on balance. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He goes on. Remember, he's talking to us about overload, and here's what he says what, what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden that God has placed on all of us, yet God has made everything beautiful for, uh, uh, for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are the gifts of God. Now I want you to notice, we're talking about overload. I want you to notice how in this section, what he does is very quickly and efficiently identify the main areas that we are supposed to give our time to or that most of us do give our time to. So the first one is work. We spend a lot of time doing work during the week and rightly so. And for some of us, we're contractors and some of us are school teachers and some of us are nurses and some of us work at a church and some of us work at an office. and so That's our work. Now, some of us, our work is we stay at home with the kids. That's work. Some of us, our work is we're students. That's work. Whatever that chunk is, that's a part of your life. It's a huge part, right? Then the next part in this very colorful phrase where he says, God has planted eternity in your heart. It's his way of saying in a wisdom literature setting There's a faith part to who you are. There's a work component to your work schedule, to your schedule, and there's a faith component to your schedule. We might say there's work life and there's church life. Right? So you got work life, you got church life, and now notice the third one. Two times in the last two verses, two times, he says, guys, hey, pay attention. Look at me, guys. Some of you are missing it. You're forgetting to do the last one. Part of life is not just work. It's not just church. It's recreational life. It's family life. Go out, have a few drinks with some friends, smile and laugh. Work life, church life, family life. All three of them are necessary. And what I've noticed is that people who experience overload, people who experience overload aren't balanced. They're missing one or the other. If you're missing work, to be honest, you may not want to hear this. You're lazy. You got to work. God tells us to work. If you're missing the second one, church life, you're not as spiritually healthy as you need to be. And if you're missing the third one, fun, family, recreation, you're not enjoying life the way God intended you to enjoy it. You miss any one, you're in trouble. You need all three. Now, the way God has 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 what He's done to remind us of this principle is what's called the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a principle taught in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's this idea that once a week you need to worship and you need to rest. Here's how God says it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's put it on the, on the screen. And here's what God says. I want you to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy or keeping it special, right? It used to be Saturday. Now for most of us it's Sunday, okay? Okay. Observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. And then he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So six days we work. Here's how it normally works for us. Five days you work for your employer. Normally, Monday through Friday. Some, some of you have four days of work, but you work 10 hours. and it, It's different for different people, but it's normally five days for your employer you work. One day you kind of work for your family. You do chores around the house. You do the laundry. You do the groceries. You do mowing the lawn. You run the kids here and run the kids there, right? It's not always the same, but five days for your employer, one day for your family, and now notice the seventh day. But the seventh day, it's a Sabbath. And notice how he ends, to the Lord your God. He doesn't say, listen, I want you to work six days out of the week, and then the last day is for you so you can rest. doesn't say that. He says, the seventh day, yes, you rest and you worship, but the seventh day is an indication of your relationship with me. Here's what God asks of you with the Sabbath. Do you trust me? Do you trust the rhythm that I've set up for you? I want you to work six days. I don't care if there's still things left on your to-do list. I'm asking you, one day a week, you need to change your rhythm. And you need to focus in on worship and rest. That doesn't mean that if this afternoon you go home and you do a little something around the house, it's not, he's, don't take this too far. It's the rhythm he's after. Does that make sense? I want to explain something to you that I, I hope will un, help you understand why God does this. I need a someone that's going to help me. I'm going to put some a passage up on the up on the screen, and I'm going to have you read it. Uh, a volunteer. Kevin, thank you very much. Kevin didn't look up at me. There you go. Come on. Kevin's the guy who's normally over there hopping and popping on his bass, okay? Here, we're going to give this to you. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to put a passage up on the screen. They're all English words. They're all easy words. What you're going to do is you're going to go stand over there. You're going to read it into the mic, and everyone else is going to follow along and see if they can also see what is on the screen. So go ahead and stand over there. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen, and Kevin, when you're ready, read away. Go. Go. What the heck is going on? Clearly someone forgot to proofread this slide before uploading everything to the laptop. We are used to the pastor having the occasional spelling mistakes, but this is unbe- unbearable. Not to mention the constant cat jokes. It, I think it is time for me to consider Valley Bible. Okay, let's hear it for Kevin. He actually did pretty good, didn't he? You were speeding around. I don't know how you did that that good. Now, let me show you something. Do you want to know that 1,200 years ago when you would pick up a document and pick up a book, it would look like that? Did you know that? When you picked up Greek and Latin, that's what you would see. Everything in caps, no spaces. Now, since then, in the ninth century, someone said, it's kind of hard to read that. How about, how about we don't make it all caps? How about we use punctuation? How about we put spaces between the words? And now that passage looks like this. By the way, did you guys notice I misspelled spelling mistake just for you English freaks just to mess with you? (laughs) I know, I do that for you. Give me some grace, right? Now, here's what I want to show you. Let's go back to the last slide. Guys, that's what your life looks like without a Sabbath, The Sabbath is God creating space between your activities. Does that make sense? 1929, Coca-Cola came up with a uh, marketing campaign that is still talked about today. Let's put it on the screen. Marketing students in business school will study this campaign because it was so effective. Effective. And um, they got people to buy Coke like they'd never got, it, got people to buy it. And they, they have determined that the success of this marketing campaign by Coca-Cola was the phrase. They used different images, right? But the phrase remained the same. And it was this idea, listen, we want you to have a Coke during the day. Why? Because a Coke is the pause that refreshes. And that spoke to people like nothing else. I need that. A pause that refreshes me. The Sabbath day is God's Coke for you. You've got to be careful how you say that. We're going to cut. Let's say that again. The Sabbath is God's Coca-Cola for you. It's a pause that refreshes. You guys got it? Okay. Okay. Now, here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, we're all going to take a deep breath because we all need it. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, we don't have any more time for that. Let's get back to this. <laughs> I think you guys got the point. Number three is you've got to focus on spiritual health. You've got to focus on spiritual health. Now, I want you to see what I'm implying. I'm suggesting and implying that there are other things other than spiritual health. There are, there's physical health the reality is that some of you are, are, are experiencing stress in your life because your physical health is all jacked up, right? You got to eat better. You got to sleep better. You got to exercise better. Some of you got to work on that. Some of it has to work on mental health. Stop watching Netflix and pick up a book, right? It'll do you good. Now, mental health can also mean a lot more serious. Financial health, that's the one topic that I'm not going to be able to get to in this series, and you talk about a stressor, right? But some of us are stressed beyond belief. And you want to know why? Your finances are messed up. You got to get a handle on that, right? So I know there are other types of health. What I'm suggesting, when, when it comes to the stress and the pressure of overload, I think you need to focus on spiritual health. And I'm not saying that just because we're in church and I'm a pastor. What you see underneath that point used to be just in my notes. But I decided it was so important I added it at the last minute. This is what I've observed. Overloaded people tend to be spiritually malnourished. Let that sink in. Overloaded people tend to be spiritually malnourished. Here's what I've observed. When some of us get too many plates spinning, when we're overloaded, when we're overworked, when we're rushing 24-7, non-stop, You want to know the first thing that falls off the to-do list? First thing, youth group, Bible study, Sunday morning church, my daily time with God. Tell me that's not true. For most of us, if we're overloaded, we also are spiritually malnourished. And what I want to show you is not only based upon Ecclesiastes, a couple things to get back on track, okay? Okay. Number one is we need a Savior. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 19. Now it's interesting. Read this very carefully with critical eyes. Listen to what he's saying. Under the sun, people and animal animals share the same fate. They both breathe and they both die. Both go to the same place. What? Huh? Did he just say that? They came from dust and they returned to dust. Who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? Excuse me? Is that in the Bible? Yep. Is he really saying that monkeys, dogs, cats, and humans, we all go to the same place, doesn't really matter. Is that what he's saying? Well, that's what it looks like he's saying. Is that what he means? No. Do you know why we know that? When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you have to be very careful. You have to be very astute. What he's doing is he's speaking facetiously from the standpoint of what the world says. And what you're always looking for is the first three words. That's his key phrase. Look at it on the screen. Under the sun. That is code for, in his day, this is what the world says. Do you understand that? So he's saying, you know what the world says? The world says you're no different than a monkey. You're no different than a cat or a dog. The cat lives, the cat dies. The dog lives, the dog dies. You live, you die. It's all the same. Who, who could possibly know if when you die, you go to be with God? Who knows? Maybe you go down. Maybe you go sideways. We don't really know. That's what the world is saying, right? That's not what he believes. You're looking for the conclusion to what he's saying. It comes in chapter 12. I'm going to read it to you. Listen. This is what he believes. The dust, it does. It returns to the ground. But our spirit, it goes to be with God. Question. Are you sure yours will? Because you see, this book says there's one condition. One and only one condition for your soul to be with God for eternity. Could I tell you what, in my opinion, is the most stressful thing anyone can experience? We're talking about stress. You want to know, to me, what by, not even close, the most stressful thing anyone could experience is this, not knowing what happens after you die. Not knowing where you're going to go. Not knowing if you have an eternity assured with God. I can't think of anything more stressful Do you know this book says you can be sure, absolutely sure, his name is Jesus. That's the answer. And I'm glad you're here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm telling you, not just the best thing for your stress, but the best thing for your eternity is embracing Jesus. And if you've never done that, talk to me afterwards. Go to the prayer room, talk to someone. Figure this out because it's important. It's really important. Not only for your stress and your eternity, but in this case, your spiritual health. The second thing, I know most of you have done this first bullet point. The second one is something else that we need to talk about. We need, to, we need not only the Savior, we need to be sinless. Verse 16, he says, have you noticed there's evil in the courtroom? You go to the courtroom, we're supposed to get justice at a court. Have you noticed sometimes the lawyers are crook? Have you noticed sometimes the judge is a crook? We go to, to, the, to, to the court for justice, doesn't always happen. Right? What the heck is going on? There's evil in the courtroom, but then he adds at the end, "Chill, though. In due season, God is going to judge everyone, both good and both bad." You know what he's talking about? The problem and the reality of sin in our lives. So when it comes to stress in our life, my opinion, and I try to make a big distinction between God's word and my opinion. This is my opinion. My opinion is that some of us are misdiagnosing what we are calling stress. In my opinion, what some of us are experiencing is not stress. It's the conviction of sin in our life. And here's what I mean. We all have sin, every one of us. But some of us have a repetitive, in-your-face God sin. Something you are doing over and over and over again and making absolutely no attempt to change. Which one is it for you? Oh, I know I'm preaching good when it gets real quiet. (laughs) See, I know how the Holy Spirit is. He probably whispered something in your ear. And here's what I'm saying. You don't realize it or not, but the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we have these discipleship classes, and each verse has an anchor verse that everybody's supposed to memorize. And in this one class, um, our Vegas class, it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And the writer says this, you want to run the race of life? You want to win in life? And he gives some suggestions. You want to know what the first suggestion is? You've got to get rid of sin. And then he tells us why. He says this, because sin is heavy. It weighs you down. And my point is this, what you think is stress, I'm telling you, it might not be. It might be the weight of sin, unconfessed, Unrepentant sin in your life. Yes, we need a savior. Most of you have that. I know you personally. Most of us need bullet point number two. We need to work on that one sin that keeps getting in our way. Fight it. Watch what it does to your stress levels. Watch what it does to your spiritual health. The third thing, I got to keep moving. The third thing is we need silence, we need solitude, we need to be at rest. I'm not going to read all those verses, but it's amazing how often Scripture talks about, you know what, you need to be quiet. He leads me beside quiet waters. You need to be alone at times. You need to turn the noise of the world off. That helps your soul. It helps your soul. Back when Sandy and I were living in Chicago, before we came to the Bay Area, I was getting my master's degree. She was working as a CPA And because I didn't have a job, we were really, really careful with our finances. And so when summertime came around, when vacation time came around, we wanted to do something, but we didn't want to spend a lot of money. And my uncle heard about this. He said, I got this house in in Missouri you can stay at for free. I heard the word free. I was like, I'll take it, right? And uh, I didn't know, we didn't know when we said yes, that it actually happened to be in an area that's a very popular, very cool area. He had a house about 30 minutes outside of Branson, Missouri. Some of you have heard of that. It's a fun place with all kinds of shows. And and then, of course, being 30 minutes out, I mean, we literally, I remember the first time we got there, it was night. There was no signs. There was no lights. We didn't know. We tried to get into someone's house that wasn't his. I mean, we didn't know where we were going. Finally, we found the house, right? And we didn't have neighbors. There was no one around us. And after we had unpacked and we had dinner, I said to Sandy, I asked her this question, what's that noise? Is it like a cricket or some sort of? It was like this, it was this low-level buzz. She goes, I'm glad you said something. I've been hearing it ever since we got here. You know what it turned out to be? It was the sound of silence. And the buzzing we were hearing was the buzzing of the city. Because when we live in a metro area like Chicago or San Francisco or Oakland, cars and sirens and people and yelling and screaming and neighbors and We didn't know what silence uh, sounded like. It took my ears three days to lose the buzz of the city. And finally I heard what silence sounds like. Now listen, I love the Bay Area. I'd much prefer to live in a metro area than farm area. That's me. But you still have to find a place to be quiet. You still have to find a place of solitude to rest your soul you got to figure that out for you because it's important. The last one I'm not going to spend hardly any time on, but I'm going to wrap it up. We need sustenance. By that, I mean you need a, a healthy diet of this book. Matthew 4, 4, we will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes and proceeds from the, from the Lord. I'm going to have Gio come up as he's coming up, and we're going to wrap up. I'm going to mention a name that probably none of you have heard before. His name is Charles Monson. Charles Monson means nothing to any of us. But if you've been in the Navy, or in particular, if you've ever served on a submarine, Charles Momsen is a hero. Charles Momsen, you see, when submarines were first created, they were an incredible weapon. Because what you could do is you could hide your soldiers in this little tube, and you could sneak up on the enemy under the water undetected. Incredible. Incredible. There was one problem with submarines. For the longest time, this was the problem. The problem is if there was ever an issue with the submarine, if the engine stopped working, if it got damaged because of a skirmish with the enemy, if anything happened to the submarine and it went to the bottom of the ocean, bottom of the sea, there was no way to rescue the sailors. Every time, every time, every sub, every sailor would die. Kind of a problem. Until Charles Monson. Charles Momsen created a, a, a vessel, you would call it, that they named the lung because it gave breath. And this vessel was able to, to descend to the bottom of the ocean where the submarine was on the seafloor, and it was able to take a couple of sailors at a time, and it was able to do two things. It was able to transport them to the surface, and it acted as a decompression chamber. If you've ever you know heard of scuba diving maybe you've seen it in movies you can't just go to the bottom of the ocean and then come right to the surface there's some things that happen from an oxygen standpoint within you and you you can get toxic and die if you do that too quickly and you don't have a decompression chamber let me show you what we've learned today let's put it on the screen what we've learned today is that that is god's decompression chamber for your soul Guys, some of us have to get much better at maximizing our time. Some of us have to insist on balance. Some of us got to focus on our spiritual health. I'm going to end the way I started. Some of you, some of us are living life in a way that God never intended. He never meant for you to be as tired as you are. Maybe it's change, time you make a change. What do you think? Let's pray. As we wrap up our study time, ask God this one question. Why did He want you here today? What's the one, what's the two things He wanted you to hear? What does He want you to change? Heavenly Father, some of us showed up today and we are tired And we do feel worn out and we feel stressed. We feel overloaded with the responsibilities of life. Father, for those that feel that way, most of the times, those are the people that they're giving and they're serving their families and serving their employers and serving their churches. They're they're the ones that make life happen for the rest of us. But Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, reminding us that you have called us to live a life of rhythm according to your rhythm. And everything isn't meant to be go, 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 go. Father, teach us that some of the pressures and some of the stressors that we have in life, they're self-imposed. And they're not pleasing to you. And you're calling us to change and to tweak the way we live. Father, as we wrap up, I'm incredibly grateful for your word. Incredibly grateful for how practical it is. Thank you for what you've taught us this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said.